absolutely amazing. I'm just tongue tied, just talking about it. Yes, yes, I'm a favorite now. Welcome to the Extraordinary Being Movement, where we inspire you to take action, influence you for change, and motivate you for success. Hi, I'm your host and coach, Len DeCarmine, here with you, and we have a special show today about living life with no regrets. This guy that we have coming on, he's a world traveler, family man, it's going to be absolutely amazing. Di Manuel is a super dad dating his wife with a lead by example living and a contagious personality. You guys are gonna absolutely love him. Who's on a mission to positively impact 1 million role models around the globe to lead a fun, fit life through education, encouragement, and community. He's an award-winning digital thought leader, author, and distinguished Toastmaster and keynote speaker, former partner of a chief operating office of a multi-million dollar retail company and sought after lifestyle mentor and executive performance coach. I tell you, this guy is just absolutely amazing. <laughs> Listen, Di knows the struggles of juggling and keeping his health and happiness a priority. He models his work after the five F's, fitness, family, fun, finances, and overreaching roof of fun. He's built a rock solid foundation on health, amazing nuggets of wisdom, inspiration, Let's not waste any more time. Di, welcome to the show. Jeez. I'm like, man, I want to come on and just do the first few minutes. Like, do it over and over again. <laughs> like, you guys are awesome, man. I love the energy. I can tell that you guys just have fun together. And I mean, that's really what life's all about. And I, I'm really excited and, and both honored and excited to actually be here and to connect with you three on some subjects that are near and dear to my heart and part of my story. But I, I, I have a sneaking suspicion is probably a part of every one of our stories, especially all those that are watching or listening to this. This is the hero's journey that we're all on. And uh, I think today there'll be some nuggets to take away for sure. No, I absolutely love that. And yes, we're all on our own hero's journey. And a lot of us, especially this past year, you know, I've been doing a lot of ref reflecting and, you know, we're seeing, you know, some of our close friends pass away because of this virus. Our lives are changing in different ways. And, you know, and I love what we were talking about before the show and, and what you've done. And, you know, we brought up the topic about living life with no regrets. And I think people are a lot, doing a lot of reflecting this year, you know, and going into, you know, the new year as well that, hey, you know, I, things have to change. Can you, can you share a little bit about your journey and, you know, where you were and where you are now and kick us off that way today? Sure. Wow. Well, where to begin? <laughs> well, once upon a time. No, uh, <laughs> I'll save you the backstory. Uh, well, I'll give you a little bit. You know, I, I am someone that's very passionate about health, well-being. Mm -hmm. uh, I've been in that industry, those verticals now for just over 25 years. So really my entire adult life, you know, from the time I was 17 onward. And I didn't come to it naturally, though. I, I was morbidly obese as a teenager. And, mm. and a lot of people, when they first meet me, uh, because I am, I'm, I'm someone that lives an active lifestyle. And uh, as such, I, I'm pretty healthy, pretty fit. And uh, people have a certain well, misconception often, you know, if you the judge a book by its cover. So I, I like to get that out of the way pretty early because I, I can really relate. I, I, the, the empathy I feel for people that feel stuck or feel like things aren't getting better, 
You know, I, I, I know at 14, when I was at my lowest, uh, it, it was hard. Everything was hard, you know, especially a 14 year old boy, it, we, you know, life is challenging enough, but then you throw the, the, the hormones in there and, and yep. gosh, high school and everything else. It, it, it just compounds things uh, either sure. positively or negatively. And, and uh, so I, you know, it took about 20 months to, to really shift and change my life. And, you know, it was either choosing a path of, of staying as I was, but to be quite frank, uh, I was way more scared of that, that future than mm-hmm. I was of a future of figuring out a way of doing things differently. You know, like, and I think that's really what it often comes down to, to many of us, right? We, we're, we come to that path where there's a fork in the road and we're faced with two choices. It's like we either keep doing what we're doing mm-hmm. or try something new. Both are fearful. You know, there's a lot of fear for both, but I was less afraid of trying to figure out how to do things differently than I was of, of the future potential. And, and so that was a, a valuable lesson in my life, uh, and which I've applied a number of other times as I've come to different challenges. Uh, I always try to, you know, remember that change is always possible. It's going to happen whether I like it or not, but I like to try to be in front of it, you know, try to have a proactive role in change. And it's both empowering, also very satisfying and fulfilling when you actually start to take certain actions and start to see these positive shifts start to happen, these transformations, these results, which we manifest for ourselves a, a lot of the time. And, and I'll be honest with you, I had a lot of help, you know, and, and I don't want to pretend that I did it on my own. I had uh, great coaches. I had some mentors. I, I, I had people that really cared about me and were willing to extend a hand back when I put my hand forward and asking for help. And I'll never forget that. Hey, Ty. Yeah. Hey, Ty, how did you come up with that mindset? Uh, you know, it, it's a work in progress. Uh, and I'll be honest with you, Fred, like it's, it's a choice, right? Like, man, I have my down days too. And I think a lot of us have had a lot of down days this year. Things have not gone to plan, <laughs> to say the least. I remember the first couple of months of this year, you know, like it, I was forecasting to have the best year ever since, since leaving my, my corporate position. And I was, you know, five years in the making. I was like really excited, highly optimistic. And then, you know, February, March happened. And I was like, whoa, okay. Well, there went 80% of the forecasted revenue I had for the year. I was like, whoa, Mm -hmm. okay. Then I had a pity party, (laughs) you know, (laughs) for a few days. I moped around. I I was like, oh no, the sky is falling. Uh, But but then, you know, because of all the work, uh, you know, both personal and professional development and, and just that constant trying to improve and develop and, and, and really live into who I envisioned I was going to be as I aged, you know? And, and uh, so it's a choice. The, the, the long and short of it, Fred, is it's always a choice. I can look for the optimistic side or I can look at the pessimistic side. I do have a bias to be more optimistic. Uh, I know that, um, but I prefer that than the alternative. <laughs> Good. And uh, I got a question for you as well. You, you, you mentioned the word, you know, proactive. And, and getting ahead and, and getting ahead of these issues and whatnot. Now, um, in, in self-development, in my experience, a lot of people are usually reactive before they learn right. to become proactive. Um, how, would, how did your journey go about there? Because I, I know, I, I know like the, the whole mindset where we tend to only do things until things are like the fire under our ass gets hot enough, <laughs> you know, and then we finally yeah. start moving. You're not doing that. What, what makes you so different? Well, I, I shouldn't say I don't do that because there are definitely moments where I've, I've done what a number of us will do. You know, we all, I was like, oh, you know, I could do that today, but, you know, tomorrow's just as good. 
and tomorrow and tomorrow, you know, and, and so I do have a, a gift of, of accepting procrastination into my life at times. And, and I also know how that makes me feel. Uh, and especially those little voices in my own mind that are highly judgmental, <laughs> are very quick to, to, to cut me down. And so I know I don't like that. And, and so knowing that I have certain tendencies, especially when certain types of pressures, stress, overwhelm creeps in, and I've not done the little things to help mitigate those, um, like my daily fitness, my movement, getting up for a walk, connecting with my family, you know, just little basic things that really don't cost me any money. It takes a little bit of time, a little bit of energy, but I know if I'm doing these little things every day, the big challenges when they present themselves, they honestly don't seem as big, uh, you know, or at least I'm able to navigate myself around them a little bit more effectively. And so that's what I sort of mean by the proactive approach is like, I know if I'm doing certain things and I do these repeatedly and, and establish a lifestyle around it, like I've, I've been able to with certain rituals in my life that even when change presents itself to me, it's, it's, it's like, okay, I, I knew this was going to come. Maybe not in this form, but I knew change was always in, uh, always in front of me. Because I mean, Buddha said it like 2,500 years ago, pretty wise dude, you know, under a tree. It's like, yeah, this too shall pass. And, and I, I used to always think that meant the bad things in life, right? Yeah, all the struggles, all the challenges, all these missed opportunities. Oh my goodness. Well, don't worry. Buddha said this will pass. And he's right. Yeah, all these bad things, I'll get past them and I'll keep on living. But he was also talking about the good stuff. You know, and that, that awareness and mindfulness of being present in the moment to enjoy life for what it is right now, that's what I'm always working on. And, and so that has been the, the, the struggle with the juggle, so to speak, <laughs> over the last 25 <laughs> years, especially since I started having kids, because time is that one resource, and uh, I just wish I could produce more of it. Yeah. Di, I have another question. Yeah. Uh, you brought up a morning routine. And I, as some people look at this morning routine as almost like this, like structure of that, it's like this, like cup and it's so structured that they cannot deviate from it. Mm. And so what do you do on that? Because I, like I said, just kind of the concept of, is it more free flowing with you? So like, okay, four 30 in the morning, I'm up, I'm training. Um, I'm, I'm out and then at that six o'clock I'm eating breakfast or whatever it might be. Is it so structured like that? Or is it just more of like, you know, that I need to get this thing done. It's in saying I have to work out. I have to do meditation. I have to do all these different things. Is it just saying, I'm going to do this. You wake up at a, at a certain time, but say your workout takes, instead of it being like 30 minutes, it takes an hour or maybe mm -hmm. it takes an hour and a half. Is it so structured where, okay, I'm done. I have to quit my workout, even though you're in the flow. Right. Fred, that's such a good question. It, it actually, two days ago, I had a conversation with a client that sort of echoed exactly what you just asked. And we got into the conversation about discipline versus commitment. And I do know that at periods of my own life, it, it took a lot of discipline to be consistent, to create the ritual, create the habit. And it, I needed a lot of structure in those early stages. I did. I needed the structure. I needed it to be as black and white as possible. I needed the checklist. I needed my little dopamine hits, knowing that I'm getting the stuff <laughs> off my list. And I, I needed that structure when I was getting started. And I find a lot of people, when they're trying to create new habits, especially if it's habits to overwrite some that they're wanting to replace or, or do away with, 
you know, we start going into like neuroscience and neuroplasticity, we know it's possible. We can rewire our brains, but it, the deeper those habits are, the, the longer it takes, the more consistent effort we have to be. And, and so this idea of discipline at the beginning, when you're first starting to establish this, say, morning routine for myself, it used to be almost militant with it, you know, like it was, okay, alarms going off. I'm up out of bed. I'm doing my, my, my checklist. And what I did find that after a few years of being that structured, I eventually got to a point where I just started to do things without really thinking about them. It just was, it really became more lifestyle than, than even a habit. Like it, it just became automatic. And now I'm at a point though, where I know certain things. I know how to do the, you know, this is funny. Like I'll, I'll use a reference here, but not everybody will get this one. Um, control, alt, delete, right? Like it, <laughs> I say that to my kids and I'm like, what are you talking about that? And I have to talk, well, it's like hard resetting your phone, okay? <laughs> like, um, I, 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 I'm totally dating myself here. It's like when I told them when I was 14, I went to the library, got books out on fitness and nutrition. My kids are like, why don't you just Google it, Dad? I'm like, that's older than Google. There you go. You know, like, but but regardless, uh, you know, th this idea of of a hard reset. I I know that there's certain things I can do that will always help me poof, immediately shift into a more positive energy mm -hmm. from a negative energy that I'm in, and that includes fitness, meditation, walking connection with the, the the right person when i say the right person it's, it, there's certain people that i i have certain levels of vulnerability with that i've, mm -hmm. I've established that level of trust with and sometimes being able to just just say it i'm not looking for anything i'm not looking for any support but just to be able to say it to somebody without fear of judgment without someone giving me some prescription for fixing it mm -hmm. uh you know just just being able to say it to somebody else that is enough to release a little bit of pressure and, and it gets me back into sort of that flow. So in the early stages, I definitely encourage people, maybe you have to be more disciplined. You have to be very, you know, make the checklist and just work through it, trusting that this process will start to create the results that you want to be living into. And if that's not happening, uh, okay, well, back to the drawing board. Let's just talk about one thing. Not worry about five, six, seven, ten things you're trying to do every morning. Let's just talk about one little thing. And when, what's that one thing that, you know, if you do it, we'll make everything else a little bit easier or irrelevant. You know, the, the, the book, the one thing that I love that question. Right. And uh, and I think that is something to ask ourselves, you know, what can I do today that's going to bring me closer to my goals, to the life I want to be living, to that person that I believe I'm, I'm evolving into? What can I do today? That one thing that will bring me one step closer. And so that's often the, the questions that I tend to ask myself now. And, and so I'm not so prescriptive that I try to do everything on my list. I, I go with how I feel when I wake up in the morning. The other day, I, I had a workout schedule. I was ready to go, you know, and, and I got up and I was like, you know, my body's a little stiff. I'm I just, I'm not feeling like I want to go for a workout. So I pivoted and I did a little yoga workout in my home, you know, just did a stretch session. Felt great for it. And then I did some reading afterwards. And then I went for a walk, you know, like, so I pivoted based on how I was feeling. But again, it was still producing the same sort of result that I was looking for, which is that grounding, that, that feeling like I'm doing something for me and, and showing myself some self-love, as they say, if you want to get into some of the buzz terms out there, right? Like it's those <laughs> self-care rituals and the self-love. Yeah, 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 for sure. You know, it's like giving myself a little virtual hug, you know, <laughs> by doing those little things because I always feel great and it sets me up for a wonderful day. So, so that's sort of a, a long-winded answer to your fairly brief question there. Sorry, Fred. I get. I, uh, I've never been told I'm. I'm. 
Uh, listen, let's just say that I, I have a gift of the gab at times. <laughs> I live with three women. I don't get to say much. So when I do get a chance to talk like this, watch out. <laughs> Drinking from a fire hose. You know? <laughs> love it, love it. You know, I, I love, I, I love the, the concept. I love how you look at things because I know for myself as being an athlete that I, if I have a, a competition I'm training for, and this is where you, you structure and you have the periodization because you know that you got to be at a certain peak at a certain competition however it's a thing of how to live in knowing that you can you can feel what's going on with your body like i know with the sport that i do that if i miss two attempts in a row that i have to drop the weight down because my mind is not there and as well as maybe the mechanics or things like that just getting the, the engine running and then you hit it then you increase the weight and um and from there, I also know that you have to hit these numbers on these particular days, these sets and reps that you need to hit, or else you're not going to get that. And I changed my mentality of looking at things to be, it's like, a, here's a guide, and that's all it is. And then when I get to a competition, I've realized, okay, here's my openers, and that's all I'm going to do. Don't think about anything else above beyond that because I used to go like okay these are the numbers I'm going to hit this is that this is my qualifying total or this right here or look at the competition and it comes and it makes it so pressurized and I love how the concept of you're just being in that flow or being in the the zone and just letting it just letting it be just listening to your mind body and soul thank you and uh, I think that's a great way of uh describing it too and, and olympic weightlifting or powerlifting what do you olympic weightlifting ah nice right on man uh, i next to the hole in one man nothing like an olympic snatch to to just show yeah. you what's possible in human performance you know like it's uh, i think there's a lot of luck with a hole in one but there's some skill there too but man you can't screw up on a snatch especially at a pr weight so my hat's off to you my gosh that's uh that's amazing man amazing well thank you yeah die listen to you I hear something very unique that I think people need to really explore. See, you're not only just living life, but I can tell you're the type of person who's experiencing it. Hmm. And that, and a lot of people don't experience what's going on in their day or what they're doing in the moment. They're just going through the motion, living their life. But what I'm hearing from you is that you're truly experiencing what you're, what you're being involved in, in that moment, either with your children, with your wife, you know, being with a client, working out, you know, going through your day, you're just not doing it because it's routine, but you're really experiencing it. And I think that's a piece a lot of people are missing in their lives that they're just not experiencing life on a more deeper level to really understand their feelings or emotions, really what they're doing and really why they're doing it beyond just reaching that goal. And I hear that in you that you're really experiencing it. So I just wanted to point that out to you that that's fantastic. And I think a lot more people need to do that so they can live their life with no regrets because doing the action is one thing, but really experiencing it mm. and really exploring your emotions and understanding it is a whole different concept and realm that people are missing out on. Uh, mm. What's your thoughts on that? Well, I, I, first of all, thank you. Uh, <laughs> it's very kind of you to, to make that observation. I, I certainly feel this last year has been different. So hearing you say those words and, and thinking about some of my habits that I have now that aren't the norm for me, uh, 
I, I gotta admit to you, I, I kind of feel like, oh, do I feel that that's a, a fair description for who I am right now? And and I think there's moments where I still live into that, but I, I have to be honest with all of you, you know, like yeah. this year's been weird, you know, oh, like sure. there, I've, I've noticed myself, uh, I, I do a lot of men's work and, and it's something that I've embraced because I've, I don't know, the last few years, especially, and after my father passed, I, I realized I didn't have a lot of close male figures in my life. Mm. You know, I always looked at men as competition. Always, you know, and so being vulnerable with another man, no, he'll use that against me. You know, no way. I can't do that. No, I don't trust you. I may say I trust you. You may call you a friend, but I don't really trust you. You know, and, and I realized that I just had this habit of just instantly judging men, you know, without even knowing. Them. Sure. Uh, yeah. And, uh, based on some of these shifts that I've wanted to make over the last few years, you know, just getting around men I can be safe with and, and literally just share openly and not have any fears attached to that. It, it's, you know, we can call it an exercise in vulnerability and it's, we all have the capability of being vulnerable. It's just, there's it's a certain amount of trust and safety and, and assurance, you know, that it's, it's okay. We're, we're, we're okay. I'm okay. You know? And, uh, so I, I, I look at what this last year's been like, and there's clearly been just some struggles, you know, and, and as struggles with connecting, mm -hmm. you know, I, I used to deal, do a lot of in-person events. I, I thrived with that in-person connection. So having to pivot to everything's virtual, it was an adjustment, right? It was an adjustment. Also relocating back to Canada, you know, adjustment. And all these changes were happening all at once. And some of them, I didn't choose, <laughs> you know, I just sort of found them coming upon me. And so having to then practice what I preach became mm -hmm. even more relevant. And I found myself on certain times, I told you about the little pity party around March, you know, and 80% of my business like decimated. Uh, and I was like, oh, geez, uh, I knew some of the things I wanted to Netflix and chill, right? And just uh, whatever. And I got very comfortable, to be honest with all three of you, I got, mm -hmm. I was like, you know, things are good, though things are good. My life's good. You know, we don't have a lot of stresses. Um, kids are okay. They're safe. They're healthy. You know, we got a roof over our head. I, I got really comfortable with this idea of good and just being good enough. Mm -hmm. Where before that, especially the last five years uh, and what we were doing and how we just really lived into what we wanted versus what we dreamed of, <laughs> you know, we really just said, okay, well, let's just go for it. Uh, started to just really realize that, that, I think like, what's the best way to articulate this? And, and it was just accepting that, okay, it is out of my control, but these are in my control. What happened? The fire felt like it. And, and I think Chris, you said it earlier, you know, that sometimes we have to get to that point where we feel like we're, we're on a fire, you know, and we're, we're starting to burn and, and it's like, okay, well, I got to make a change now, you know? And, and I think I, I got, I was just always chasing something. I was always just, just living into that life that you were just describing uh, a second ago, Len. And, and yeah. uh, I, I feel that uh, there was a period during this year where I was not, I was out of integrity. Sure. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? With myself. And, and, but having some tools to then work through that and, and start to strive for greatness again. However, I know it's a very subjective term, but what I believed was to be a great man, to be a great father, a great husband, a great brother, you know, great friend. Like I, I had certain expectations of myself that I was trying to live into. And, and so having to have that hard reset and, and, and start to feel into that energy again, it took some time. It took some yeah. time. And, and I, I wish I could say it happened like, oh, yeah, I went for a workout and everything was great. Well, it wasn't that simple. Okay. It, it took a lot of work. 
a lot of reflection, mm -hmm. a lot of journaling, a lot of just like, wow, <sighs> trying to trust a process, you know? So, so yeah, I, I just wanted to acknowledge that because it was, it would have been really easy to say, oh, thanks. Yeah, for sure. But I was like, ah, I guess I, I can't be hundred percent honest on, on, on that just based on what I've experienced this year. Yeah. I die. I, I, I love yeah. that because, because, okay, thank you for the vulnerability and thank you for being um, straight honest, like not giving a shit and being honest with us. I, I love that, the humility, everything, because you said two things that really, that really hit home for me, um, that conversation I really want to talk about. And the first one was, is the, the lack of vulnerability between men, mm. especially high functioning men. Mm. It's, it's way more prevalent the higher up you go in the in the chain of power have you noticed like the oh, yeah. more and more like 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 the conversations you start to notice the conversations there's no there's it's all fluff right mm -hmm. and there's there's no there's no information about the person that you're talking to they don't give away anything about them or their family and it's very easy for people to to give away stuff to them about their family and that's where that mistrust starts to grow i i used to do men's work as well in, in coaching and what I'd love to hear from you is, is, you know, what has learning to become vulnerable and not only that learning to be vulnerable around the right men. And of course, as you say, right, as in like people you can be vulnerable around, because let's be honest, like I, I can't expect you to just immediately just trust every man out there because we're <laughs> all going through this really weird uh, culture shift, I feel like, where not only um, I, when my men's practice not only did I realize that like a lot of these men for them to get what they want in their lives, they had to learn to be vulnerable, but all not, not just that, but to get the women that they've always wanted in their lives, to have the relationship they've always wanted to have in their lives with their partner. They also mm -hmm. needed to be vulnerable <laughs> with their, with their partner. And that scared the living daylights out of them. I mean, they could not, they, they Oh God, that was terrifying for them. It is I, for sure. I, <sighs> you hit it all right there, you know, and I, I think it, the funny thing is, and, and I shouldn't say funny, ha ha or ho ho, but it, like funny is in a sad kind of funny, you know, is that a lot of what we believe being a man is, is often, you know, we, we do have a lot of confirmation bias, right? Like we're, we're looking to model other men. And, and if those model behaviors are the norm, well, who are we to do anything different? Even though we might be feeling something different, it's like, well, that's not the norm. That's not the way, like, and even like if we talk about masculinity, you know, if you say, well, what's a man? Well, what's a masculine man? You know, like the terms are almost interchangeable and in which we recognize aren't. Masculinity is more referring to like an energy than anything, right? Uh, um, but you look at masculinity, you look up synonyms for masculinity and there's words like bravado, machismo, <laughs> strength you know like vigor like really quite aggressive terms right <laughs> and, and then you, you look up femininity and you look up some of their synonyms like docility kindness caring like i'm like well, why doesn't that fit into the definition of what it means to be a man do you know what i mean and and, and so we do need a paradigm shift on, on on coming to a new definition or understanding of what it means to be a man and not the 1950s version Right. Like, and, and yeah, I, I just want to be involved at least in the conversation and not even just having it, but I, I want to lean into that more. You know, I want to be more of that kind of a person because that's what my understanding is now. Like, I think back to my dad and he was raised and it wasn't his fault, you know, born in 1944. 
he was uh, uh he had four older siblings but the closest in age was 10 years older than him just to give you an idea he, he was an oops and <laughs> you know post-war oops uh and uh and and so he, you know he he had all his older siblings pretty much out, out of the house uh, so he grew up more or less like a, a single kid and he was and he was babied you know but also on the same note there was not a lot of emoting, you know, like there wasn't a lot of like caressing or hugs or, or saying, vo vocalizing it, like, I love you or, or any, anything along those lines, especially from his dad and even his mom. And, and, and so when I think back on that and, and I think about how he was with my brother and I, like, yeah, I can't begrudge him for that, but I did. I harbored a lot of negative emotions for most of my adult life. You know, I, I left, they, my parents divorced when I was young. And, and so I harbored a lot of these emotions, but that was my understanding. Well, he was just being a man and maybe that's what a man is, you know? And, and so even noticing some of those tendencies in myself with my own kids, you know, when I, when they were born, I was like, okay, everybody says your life changes when you have kids. And I felt like, okay, my life changes. It's not about me, 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 or, or my wife and I, we, 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 it was now like, them 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 you know like it, it it definitely changed my focus and some of my reasons for doing some of the things i did but i still on that emotional connection level i just didn't feel like i was being authentic mm -hmm. i was still had a guard up and it created a lot of internal conflict for me to the point that i, I just had a lot of stress a lot of anxiety i was building my company at the time and and so as you said you know the higher you go up on the the chain we almost see more of the smoke and mirrors and I was living the smoke and mirrors, you know, like I, I had a double life for sure. I also drank a lot of alcohol, which led to narcotic use, which often led to, to me being promiscuous. Mm. You know, I'm not proud of who I was and who I was acting as. And, and, you know, my kids, when I got to my worst, my kids were four and six. And, uh, I remember that day, my wife, you know, she, she sat me down and challenged me. Like, it, it was like, I thought it was like one of those moments where it's like, she got tired of me saying, oh yeah, yeah, don't worry. I won't let that happen again. Oh yeah. I just had that one extra drink or I mixed my alcohol. It's like, don't worry, babe, that won't happen again. Gosh, whew. you know, but you say that, like I said, it was like every other weekend kind of thing. Right. And, and, and she got to a point where it was like enough's enough, you know, and she sat me down and, and I, I could tell like, this is, you know, a woman that always saw the best in me, and I could see that in her eyes, she always saw the potential in me. I know that. That's who she fell in love with, you know, along with the guy that I was at the time. And, and, and so looking in her eyes, looking at me, I always gave, got a boost of confidence, but not that day. I, it was just cool, you know, cold stare. And just, I could tell. And she asked me a question. And this is the question that shifted everything. It's actually why we're even having this conversation today, because I can tell you, if she didn't ask me this question, I wouldn't be here today. Mm -hmm. I don't know if I'd be alive today, to be honest. Wow. She asked me a question. Di, are you being the type of man that you would want your daughters to marry? Mm -hmm. I was just like, Pow. Yeah, powerful. <laughs> I, I, I just, and for some reason, I don't know what happened, but just everything changed. Like it was like instant. And, and so maybe it was that fire under me in that moment, you know, Chris. And uh, uh, but I made a decision then to to go a year without drinking, you know, to 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 really face who I was and some of the choices I was making and some of the challenges I was working through. And this is just over almost eleven years ago now. Mm -hmm. And uh, that one year turned into a lifestyle. I, I don't drink, but I, I never believed I was an alcoholic. I just valued alcohol and drugs and promiscuity over my life. That's right. I did. It was a value proposition every day. I was mm -hmm. just like, well, you know, I, I value this right now in the moment more than what I have over here. 
Oh, that's awesome that you're actually, you, yeah. you're able to become vulnerable with yourself to be able to admit to yourself, okay, this is not an addiction. This is something I'm actually valuing and seeking and choosing into my life. Like yeah. that is, that is responsibility. That is accountability. That is power right there. It was hard. <laughs> it was, it was uh, really, really hard um, because that was my, I've heard people refer to, to alcohol and drugs, you know, as their safety blanket. Right. And, and for me, it was more of a crutch. Like it, it mm -hmm. helped me function. It helped me function. Like it was the end of day and I'd be like, I'm going to have a bottle of wine. I always say it was a glass, pour my wife a glass and, and I'd be done the bottle before she was finished her glass. Right. Like that was, it was like, habit. it was a big bottle. Yeah, that's right. Bigger's better. Um, but it, it was uh, that was my habit, and, and I just became very, very accustomed to that. And and uh, you know, so making that change, I, I realized in a way I was taking the crutches away, mm. and I had to learn to walk. You know, uh, and I, I went deep in that. You know, I got a psychologist that I started to work with. I, I started working with a counselor. We did some relationship counseling. Uh, I basically stopped associating with the majority of the people I associated with. Um, you know, and, and that actually happened naturally. It wasn't really a choice. I knew I wouldn't go into certain situations where I felt I could be triggered or, or just put off, off path, you know? And, and so I just started to ruin myself in that, but, but looking and longing for more connection and, and deeper quality conversations rather than the superficial stuff that I've been very accustomed to. And it was amazing because all of a sudden I took away the crutches and, and I could realize that these are some of the things that I wanted to, to start to nurture and uh, not knowing how to do that. You know, it's a very, created a lot of fear, um, but I was more afraid of the other idea of losing my wife, losing my kids, losing the life that I had built to that point, you know, and, and, and I was way more afraid of that than the idea of, well, let's go figure this out. Dad. You can, you can get through this. You know, I mean, 14 years old, you, you overcame morbid obesity. Like, you changed your life. I mean, why can't you do it again? And so that's where I really started to reflect on things that I'd, I'd been challenged with in the past. And, and, and again, just sort of embraced the process and uh, trusted that I could do it. And, uh, but fortunately I, I had support too. And I like to let people know that, you know, like there's always support out there. And, and I, I did feel alone at times, but I didn't feel lonely. And I, I, I like to, to really specify that, you know, because I, I think a lot of us these days do feel a bit lonely based on that disconnect. But there's always an opportunity to find a community, find mm -hmm. someone to connect with, and, and whether it be through digital means or, or in person. I mean, I, I look at our what we're dealing with now, and digitally, we can, we can connect with people. So, so that idea of being lonely, it, it's, it's a choice more than mm -hmm. And uh, so, yeah, that was, and, and I just want to have a close with this little piece on that, that story to close the loop, like, yeah, I, I embraced vulnerability that day. You know, I, I yeah, sure. I, I said, I'm going to go a year with no drinking and, and I'm fully committed to my family and, and really I'm fully committed to myself and making some changes. Uh, but there was also a condition there where I had to have absolute uh, honesty uh, with my wife on, on all past transgressions. And uh, she demanded that. And to be honest, she deserved it. Sure. That was really hard, you know, Oof. coming clean on everything, all Gosh. the crap that I'd done pretty much the entire time we were together wow you know like and uh but it allowed us to start fresh again i mean she's a, a wonderful woman and i it took a long long time to rebuild my trust like uh, uh, for me to rebuild her trust in me sure 
And uh, but it, it, every day, you know, fight for that. So, yeah. Wow, very beautiful, very, very, you know, very touching because coming from a man who's divorced and kind of hearing that what your wife said to you kind of made you go down a, a one path because you could have been divorced. Yeah, she could have. She could have just said. Um, started acting differently and just ignored you and not really putting you in your place to be step up to be that man the man that she intended you to be the man that she fell in love with so that's a thing where it's like very powerful for her because all she's doing was she was elevating you and her and the family mm. so that that was very beautiful of what she did right there um i have a question for you because you have a lot of wisdom and I'm always wanting to find out how a person thinks and wanting to find out about um, because of this life experiences you have. So what life experience that you can you can give to to us and to our and to our viewers? Well, you know, there's one experience and, and I, I love that difference between wisdom and knowledge, right? Like I always think about it like a tomato. It's like, well, hey, what's a tomato? I ask that to people and they're like, oh, it's a fruit. I'm like, great. You learned something in grade school. Awesome. You know, like, and if you don't know that, it's okay. I didn't know it either. Uh, but, you know, that's general knowledge. But, but wisdom is knowing not to put the tomato in a fruit salad. You know, like it's that sort of practical experience that we gain just by living. And I've had a few big lessons. And one came from a, you guys are all coaches and, and being NLP coaches, especially, you probably heard the term, uh, reticular activation systems, right? Yep. Like, you know, that idea of just getting our subconscious to start seeing things that we want and, and, and helping us notice them more. And uh, I, I rem I've always believed in meditation and mindfulness, but I always struggled with the practice, you know, to, to do it consistently. Like I just, sitting still is just challenging. You know, I clear my mind. I'm like, man, how does this work? And I used to admire people. You know, I'd watch the karate kids. I'd, I'd, I'd read up on Siddhartha, you know, Herman Hesse's Siddhartha. And I'd be like, oh, I want to be that guy. I want to I be like a Buddha. I want to be an enlightened one. And, but I just struggled. And I remember I, I hired a coach, and this is a, a couple of years ago, and he had just done a Vipassana, a 10-day silent retreat, mm. where you basically just, learn a practice and and you go inward right we spend most of our time focusing on everything that's outside of us but this is like 10 days of just turning the focus inside and and i was like man you're crazy there's no way i'd ever do that that's like nuts there's no and and i just remember being like that's great and he was the way i remember i hired him just before he went worked with him for about a month then he went away did that thing the 10 days and then he came back and i remember i was having that first coaching session again and, and i was like who is this dude? You know, like I was just like, it's like I'm talking to Yoda. Like, what's up here? You know, and uh, and I was just like, wow, that's a big shift. But he just seemed so much more calm and just sharp, but focused. And and I was just, I was really impressed. And I was like, okay, well, maybe there is something to to this. But but then I just sort of pushed it off. No joke of a lie. Over the next three weeks, I had two other conversations with people that I respect greatly, uh, and, and they had recently like within the previous six months had the passionate experiences as well and i was like all right okay clearly i am meant to do this <laughs> as much as i was like mm, i don't know this is really intimidating uh 
So I did. I registered for one. Um, went to Thailand with the family. We, we had a wow. little uh, trip uh, and, you know, we stayed in Thailand for about the first week together. Then I went off. They flew back to our place in Bali. I went off to the, the Vipassana Center uh, for 11 days. And, and just to give you an idea on this, they take everything from you. Like they segregate men and women, go to each side. And, and uh, of the men that were there, and there was just a little over 50 guys. Mm-hmm. And you you hand in any electronics, any writing utensils, any books, like literally, and you, you then take upon a, a code of silence for those ten days, and you're not supposed to make eye contact with people, no human contact, uh, no exercise. Like it, it's literally four thirty in the morning till about nine at night. You're you're having a number of sessions of meditation, one meal a day, you know, vegetarian based meal, and uh, so it was wow okay this is this is intense and uh in the first few days really really hard like just sitting there like my body it did not want me sitting there my my mind was like this is dumb and i started feeling aches and pains like even old injuries i hadn't felt for years started acting up it was like my body was revolting you know like revolting me and and my effort to 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 try to just still myself I, it was so agitated and, but by day five and six, you know, it was still really, really hard, but I started to just find myself getting calmer, mm-hmm. being okay. And just being aware of what I was doing right then and there, not thinking about, gosh, I can't wait till day 10 comes. I can't wait till I'm out of here, you know, get back home. Like, or, or, or I did find myself a lot of times, you know, you're sitting there and breathing through the nose and they say, just focus on the breath, clear your mind, just focus on the breath, focus on the breath, you know? And, and all I could think about was like past girlfriends, like my first girlfriend. Like I remember <laughs> just having these weird memories pop up that I hadn't thought about for like a couple of decades. And so there was a lot going on and it was, it was like my body and mind just said, dude, what are you doing? Cause it was so foreign. And I think a lot of us deal with these, anytime we do something new, especially something that puts us way outside of our comfort zone, man, we try to figure out ways to get out of it. At least I, I was noticing this about myself sure. and, uh, and then come day eight, nine, 10, I just found myself sort of whew, all of a sudden just things clicked. I enjoyed the practice. I, I, started to come out of it feeling energized, fresh, clear. And, and it was just beautiful, you know? And, and, and coming away from that, I remember when I first came home, my wife and kids are like, who is this dude? You know, like they were just like, especially my kids are like, dad should do these more often. You know, like, <laughs> yeah. they, they were. My, my youngest is like, oh, I'm really digging on dad right now. Because the normal things that they would do that just, you know, it just little things that, that, you know, can sometimes trigger us and get us irritated. And, and so sometimes they would do certain things and, and it would be stuff that I would be like, what are you doing? Like, come on, don't, don't do that. You know, like just, and here I was just like, all good. You know, like, I felt like, you know, sort of Jedi mind trick, you know, <laughs> you know like, and, uh, but it was honestly one of the most, pardon the, the use of the word, but it, it was a very enlightening experience and, and probably one of the most enlightening experiences I've had in the last 20 years, you know, besides my children being born, that was, those are pretty special moments and uh, definitely shifted my understanding and my, my perspective of the world. But, but this was something for me. 
you know, this is for, for me to go inward. And ever since then, th th I just have a different perspective on life and I have a different appreciation for meditation and mindfulness and how yeah. I can fit it in and integrate it to my life. Now, I don't meditate two hours a day like a traditional Vipassana. Right, exactly. You know, you know I, what, I, what the basics yes. are, the standards yes. are. <laughs> and I, I don't have a two hour a day practice. I, I'm full honesty on that one. Uh, but I do have a daily practice. And, and I'm someone that prefers walking meditation. So I like to be moving. I've realized that. And, and so walking, you know, Spotify, there's some great uh, playlists, you know, some, some chanting or whatever, you know, get something that's sort of just that allows you to just calm the mind. You know, it's almost like a white noise and, mm -hmm. and then just focusing on, on my weight under my feet, you know, just focusing on my breath. And, and, and I come back from those walks feeling jazzed, you know, feeling energized and similar to what I was achieving through the Vipassana, but the two hour a day, it just, I, I struggled with maintaining that. I, I had about three days after the Vipassana. I maintained it. I was like, there's no, I, I, it's it does, okay, it's, I accept it's this. Not, it's not applicable in, in the first world. I, I don't think it works here. It's, it's just, hard. Yeah, two hours is a, we only got, what, 24 hours in a day and you, you live in the modern modern world. 24 hours ain't enough. <laughs> and like, when you extrapolate that, right? Like those two hours is like a month of meditating a year. Yeah. It's a month. Yeah. You know, like people used to ask me because I, I had a side hustle that I developed, which gave us the, the choices, you know, five years ago for me to leave corporate to, to test to sort of say like, okay, let's go try this new thing. Let's, let's be a full-time family. Let's, let's reinvent ourselves to, to fit the things that we really want in life and instead of waiting for it, you know, because we kept saying that I was the guy that would be like, oh, you know, I want a little bit more money in the bank. I want to make sure we got this taken care of and this. And when that's all done, then we'll do that. You know, and, and I found myself doing that all the time, right? And uh, uh, so, yeah, sorry, back to, to what you were just saying. Like, it, it came to a point where I was like, oh, man, an hour a day, it's amazing what you can accomplish in a year with just mm -hmm. one hour of focused energy a day. And, and if you take two hours, it's like, whoa, doubly the effectiveness, you know? Mm -hmm. <laughs> and and uh, so that, for me, you know, compounding my time in a positive way was a, a, something that I learned, you know, a long time ago. And so the, the Vipassana piece was, was very impressive, but I found very hard to sustain. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Uh, what, what are your guys' practice? Do you have a practice around meditation or mindfulness? I, I'm just I, curious. I cheat. Oh, oh <laughs> nice. How do you like those, by the way? Oh, I, I love them. I actually, uh, I actually used to suffer from insomnia uh, in mm. military school. So it was oh, the wow. whole go, go, go life all the time and no nonstop uh, type of life. And um, it's the same issue. That it's just learning to be teach yourself teach your body that it's okay to sit down and do nothing mm -hmm. you know like like because because when because right now the way life is for us i feel like it's just so fast-paced so quick it's become i don't have two hours a day man to sit down and meditate i'm trying to start a business i'm trying to get this thing off the ground you know i, I don't have two hours a day so my device i use it and they actually use eeg scans of tibetan mm -hmm. monks as reference scans and then they're like all right how do i make the glasses make this regular person's brain look like this tibetan monk's brain who's been meditating every single day for six hours of his whole life <laughs> you know how do i do that and because usually for me when i start meditating it'll take me at least 20 minutes before mm -hmm. i reach a state where i can start to meditate yeah. if you know what yeah. i mean right i do i do right and that's just the truth I, i'll admit that and but with the CEO, I'll get there in like five minutes. It makes it easier. Have you read Cal Newport's Deep Work? 
the book deep work yes yes G- great book yeah because as soon as you said the 20 minute piece i was like man that's so me too like i i gotta be like on a task for about 20 minutes before i get into that sort of flow and uh making it to 20 minutes is always the challenge that's right <laughs> it's like i got the best of intentions uh but damn another ding you know <laughs> but uh <laughs> Fred and Len, do you, how about you guys? How, is this meditation, mindfulness, like how, how does that sort of fit into your lives? Uh, for, me pers- for me personally, I have to get create better habits with it. Um, I usually spend a few minutes in the morning just kind of getting myself collected for the day, uh, you know, taking my time, maybe reading a little bit in the morning, you know, try to get some new thoughts in my mind, something positive, uh, something I could apply for the day or test out. And uh, that's kind of what I do right now. I would like to get into more meditation, really sit down and focus for 20, 30 minutes in silence and just sit there and be one with myself so I can really get, really get in tune. And so then I can start the day off positive and, and move forward. So something I need to work on moving forward for sure. Love it. I love it. It's always a work in progress. You know, that's yes. all our lives are, I think. <laughs> so yeah, super cool. What about you, Fred? I mean, I, I imagine you must have to have a lot of visualization work, especially for Olympic lifting. My goodness, it's uh, such a precise sport. I, I, I imagine that comes into play somewhere there. Uh, only for competition. I'll, I'll visualize in the competition where I'm at. I'll go to the venue, see where I'm at, visualize uh, myself visualize the crowd, visualize from different points of perspectives, uh, from my point of view, from a third person's point of view, that type of thing. In terms of like my meditation, it's more of a, uh, I wake up in the morning and I'm in this alpha state already and I'll go ahead and start writing. So I have a book that I'm writing, I'm doing like 365 days. And then, so I'm doing a small little, like it might be like um, a, a quote on something maybe it might be like a quick tip i'm just looking at it as like a, a guide of being of being uh zen type of thing and just just whatever information that i can give to other people because it's also my guide that i can go back and saying look at this information like okay what day was that so i can rehash it in my mind because sometimes we have so over being overloaded the other thing where i end up doing is i'll uh, listen to positive motivational stuff off of youtube and then I'll work out with it. So I'm getting a reinforcement of feeding my mind with some positivity uh, and some self-development using uh, using my time more efficiently and just getting out and just, uh, um, as well as I have the glasses too, but I haven't used the glasses like I used to just because of the, the nature of, I feel like I go, 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 go and and then I'm also realizing I'm wasting a lot of time because that's what the whole, when I ask you that question about the structure, because I kind of feel like I'm being moving like water, but I'm also not being contained like a glass. Whereas I feel like the glass is the structure. Mm-hmm. Oh, interesting. So I have one question I wanted to ask you because I know in the conversation we we're having earlier, I wanted to find out because it goes back to what we were talking about before was about living life with no regrets. Mm -hmm. And you mentioned your father passed away from pancreatic cancer. And I know that, and then you also mentioned that he was, he had his, his uh, second wife, your, your stepmom, and he was out and about. And so he died in his seventies and you kind of look at it as saying, um, you know, he still had some, some life in the tank 
and yet this pancreatic cancer kicked him in the ass. And I, and it's the same thing with my father. My father, when we found out that he had pancreatic cancer, hmm. the doctor said he had six months to live. It actually turned out to be six days. Oh, so you kind of look at it as hmm. as living living with no regret and that type of thing. And especially right now, when you're dealing with uh, you know with the, this virus that's out there of living life with no regret because that's what ends up happening. Some people look someday, someday. So I wanted to get your opinion. Wow. Well, first of all, I, I'm sorry for your loss. You know, it, it's, gosh, six days after getting, that's, I feel very grateful. You know, I, I had, uh, we had about six months uh, to, to be with him. You know, we had just, I had just quit my career. My wife had quit her career. Like, so we actually were in a position where we could spend that time with him. And, uh, I'm grateful for that, you know, that, uh, that I at least had that window and, and uh, pancreatic cancer is just an awful, awful cancer. Not that there's any good cancers, but uh, it's just uh, such an aggressive one. And um, so, so Fred, thanks for, for sharing that. And, and I'm sorry for your loss. And um, yeah, it was, my dad uh, was a great guy, you know, like he was, everybody liked my dad, like super kind, like just very generous, very, it uh, wasn't an outgoing guy. Like it wasn't like the guy that would be the life of the party kind of thing. But when you have a conversation with him, there was so much thought put into it. And he really was always present, you know, and I used to always appreciate that about my dad and uh, built his own practice and, and did it very well for himself. And, uh, you know, got to that point in life where he was like, okay, well, I'm going to hang it up. And him and my stepmom had been, they often travel a lot. Like he had a great lifestyle too, but now he was like, okay, well, I'm, I'm done. I, I don't want to work anymore. So sold his business and but then right after that shortly after that you know it was like oh type 2 late onset diabetes you know and it's like oh okay well there's a warning sign you know um and then it was like pancreatitis oh another warning sign oh you got a prostate issue huh another warning sign you know and and then eventually you know it was you know the pancreatitis had progressed to pancreatic cancer and uh, we were fortunate he went into remission the first uh, time they he went through chemo and thought everything was gonna be great and next thing you know uh, it, it came back and there was nothing that we could do you know and and but also seeing it in his own eyes that he was like okay now it's time to to wind things down and just get everything in order and uh, so, so that was a really hard thing to see, you know, my dad being the strong guy that he was, you know, six foot one, 185, 190 pounds, all, all his whole life. So he, was, he was a fit dude, but not, I would often say skinny fat, you know, <laughs> he had his periods, right, of, of time, and uh, like just rum and cokes at times. And uh, <laughs> so, so there was definitely certain aspects there, but, you know, but to see him shrink away, you know, and, and just going through that process and being there and present with him, it, it was... Uh, it was a big lesson for me. And, and so I'm grateful for the time with him and to have really absorbed a lot of that during that phase. Cause I, I started to really question my own mortality. And it was the first time I'd lost someone very, very close to me, you know, a, a parent, especially, you know, like, uh, and uh, I learned a lot and, and I started to do a lot more, you know, I read books on grief and, and the stages of grief and, and denial around that. And, you know, just, you, you start, I started to, uh, want more understanding. And uh, I, I came across the work of a woman by the name of Bronnie Ware. And she was a nurse uh, for, for uh, end of life. You know, she would often tend to people when they were sick and, and on their final days, you know, or months. And, and so, you know, my dad was in a hospice during those, that final week. And, and uh, it, it's a very challenging environment to be in. 
you know, and you're surrounded by death and sadness and, and remorse. And, and yes, what Bronnie Ware noted, regret. She, she had a great bedside manner. She took it upon herself to have conversations with these people and, and would often ask questions. Is there anything you regret not doing in your life? And what her, the foundation of her book and ultimately her TED Talk, she, she speaks to these five common regrets that almost every single person had one, if not all of them. So you can imagine this. These are people at their end of life. And what they're thinking about are these regrets, these things that they really wish they could go back and do. And I'm like, wow. You guys want to know what those are? <laughs> okay. Um, I wish I hadn't worked so hard. It's like, oh, man. Okay. I get it. I get it. Uh, I wish I'd had the courage to express my feelings. You know, think about what we were just talking about, but vulnerability, right? And, yeah. uh, and just being able to even say what we want. Sometimes we're so, I, I know myself, like, I'm like, I'm just afraid to even express what I want sometimes. Mm. Fear of judgment, fear of someone saying no, rejection. I mean, my goodness, you know, mm. I wish I'd stayed in touch with my friends, right? That, that connection. Um, I wish I, which, which is the other one? Uh, sorry, I wrote them down here just because I, I thought this might come up. I, I wish I'd had the courage to live a life true to myself, not the life others expected of me. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Boom. Uh, but, but this last one always hits me the hardest. You know, I wish I had allowed myself to be happier because it implies that happiness is a choice, right? Like, and it is, it really is. My, my wife's hilarious, you know, like she, well, I mean, the way she delivers it, it it's uh, well, you guys are in NLP. So, you know, about that pattern interruption. And, and uh, so when she sees my, my kids or myself, and you know, we start acting out or we just, she can tell the tensions rising. She's like, juice kindness choose kindness like but she says in the shrill shrieky voice was kind of a smirk but it is just like instantly you know we're like okay we we can't help but smile you know and we feel the energy shift right away and, and it brings the tension down and and so it's funny that that just that i choose kindness you know choose happiness <laughs> you know like <laughs> that's all i think about when i think about that last one you know that last regret because then you look at dan butner who did all that work with national geographic the blue zones you got people living into the hundreds they're thriving yeah they're kicking exactly. ass taking names exactly. like isn't that weird we we've got proof on both sides and that's why i say you know there i realized i had a lot of biases and i would seek out proof for whatever the bias was right and and so just knowing these things about myself especially over the last five years you know it's just been a constant exercise and self-discovery you know and and then also recognizing where i have a lot of room for improvement <laughs> and, and then just doing a little bit every day trying to improve on it but uh those five regrets of the dying I, I do highly recommend people check out her ted talk by brownie ware and if you're inspired by that her book's great it goes into a lot more detail and uh it's just you can't help but shift your own perspective once you know about it like as soon as yeah. you hear about that and as soon as you do some research on the blue zones you can't help but say man i've got two paths in front of me i'd rather be a hundred plus kicking butt, connecting with my family, my friends, you know, feel like I got a, a good sense of purpose and, and living a lifestyle that allows me to thrive at that age versus being those people that maybe regretting a number of things that they just didn't do when they had the chance to do them. And uh, so, so that's, yeah, anyways, long, long uh, loop there, but uh, <laughs> uh, Di, we have absolutely loved having you on the show today. We're Unfortunately, we're coming to the end here, but you truly do have a contagious personality. You've been an awesome guest with us today. You've shared so much wisdom, wealth, and knowledge. 
and we truly appreciate you. You truly are an extraordinary being and living that lifestyle to inspire others, which is absolutely beautiful. So thank you so much for being here. If people want to connect with you, what would be the best way for them to do that? Well, it's the one, you know, you think about my name, right? I, I'm sure people are like, Dive Manuel. Okay, that is different. And uh, Dive is actually a Welsh name for David. Sort of like, you know, you have uh, Robert and Bob. And so David, if you were in Wales, uh, they spell it really long, not like we spell David. And uh, the, the pet form or, or the shorter nickname form is Di. So my, my real name's David, uh, but my dad was a David. So to keep the confusion down, they called me Di from the time I, I could understand that it was my name being said. And uh, Manuel is a Portuguese last name. So it's a very interesting combination. Mm -hmm. And ever since Google came around and search engine optimization, I've realized my parents were, were, were futurists. They knew this was coming. <laughs> and then they gave me this great name uh, because I'm really easy to find. Uh, I've got my name on any social platform. I'm even on TikTok. I'm not very good at it. My kids are trying to teach me, but I, I'm working on it. I'm working on it. Okay. And I shouldn't say I'm not good at it. I, I am getting better and better. Uh, <laughs> but uh, I, I'm most active on Facebook and Instagram. And I just invite people to reach out. Uh, if you like, I've got lifestyle resources at the yin yang uh, on my website. I've been contributing content on that in the form of articles, long and short format uh, for 14 years now. So there's about 1500 articles on there. And uh, wow. I tell people dive in lots of free resources and nuggets and like anything. It, it, it's great. If you can take something away and apply it to your life, just, just ping me. Let me know that you, I was able to at least hold a door open for you to walk through a little bit because uh, that's what makes me sleep really well at night. You know, it, it makes me feel very fulfilled uh, on my mission to try to help people become great role models for, for those that are around them. You know, and uh, that's that's the whole point. That's why I get up every morning. Call it my icky guy, if you will. You know, that that reason for getting up and celebrating every morning. Uh, that's that's what it's all about. So that's the easiest way to get a hold of me. Just reach out anytime on any platform. Just say hi, you know, and I will say hi back. And that's it. That's all. Perfect. That's absolutely amazing. <clears throat> if anybody would love to reach out to Die, please do so. He's a man of wealth and knowledge, and like he said, he has plenty of free resources. We'll have some information about him on our website at theextraordinarybeingmovement.com so you can get access to him through us as well. Just in case you forgot his name, we will have him on there so you can learn more all about him. Final thoughts from Fred and Chris. Fred, what's what's your thoughts today? You know, this is very impactful, especially right now, talking about living your life to the best and being happy with your life. Most people, as even myself, you're thinking, uh, if I had this, I will be happy. And mm -hmm. so just be happy with what you have. You know, you're breathing. You are not pushing up daisies. So enjoy what you have. Fantastic. And Christopher Shiver, what do you have? I just want to say thank you, Di, for being vulnerable and bringing the honesty, because that, that was what this show's about, is bringing the real. And uh, I love that, because because now I feel like a lot of our viewers, a lot of listeners know that they can reach out to you and you're gonna give them the real the real truth. What's going on? So thank, thank you, you so much. Yes, thank, thank you, you once again for being here. If you'd like to learn more about Die or the Extraordinary Being Movement, reach out to us at theextraordinarybeingmovement.com. We're all, we are also on all social media platforms. You can check out us on, pod, on all the podcasting hosting sites as well, such as iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and so many others. So make sure that you reach out, connect, 
download this episode because there's probably more things you miss and there's tons of wealth and knowledge in this episode alone. So we want to thank you. We wish you the best to your success. Bye now.